Good morning, everybody. Man, so glad you were here. I feel energy in the house. I can feel it all the way down 35 from True Worth and through the crossing from the sanctuary. And even for a few folks online. So thank you so much for joining us in worship. If you're new here, we have a thing that we do at the beginning. Say, if you're in the ark, you need a Bible, just raise your hand. We'll bring one to you. So if you are not just new, but anyone you need a Bible, raise your hand. They'll bring it to you. Thank you, guys. I appreciate the help here. And uh, I want to say thank you for being present today. And we got a lot to do. So I'm just going to dive in, okay? If, if you're new here, uh, this summer we have been plowing through a little book called Colossians. We've just been going verse by verse by verse by verse. And this morning we got 17 verses. It's a lot, I'm telling you. So I'm going to ask you to get out your Bibles, get out your notes here. We're going to get to the scriptures in Colossians chapter 3 shortly. Uh, we are at a turning point. We're at a change in our study. Uh, for the first two chapters, for six weeks, this is week seven, uh, the Apostle Paul has been subverting the Roman Empire, but also our thinking. He's been subverting how we believe. And right now, he's going to change. Everything changes. When you read the letters of the Apostle Paul, usually the first half is about what you believe. The second part is about how you live. Just no, go notice it. It's very practical. So this morning, kind of the essence of what the Apostle Paul is saying is that what I believe impacts how I live. Let me repeat that. That what I believe in the context of the culture in which I believe should impact my public behavior, how I act. How I, in other words, what he's saying is, there comes a point in your life when you say you're a Christian that you're going to draw a line and there's going to be a line. On one side of the line, there's going to be no. Things I'm not going to do, and yes, things that I'm intentionally going to do. And that's really what's happening here in the text. It's changing from chapter 2 to chapter 3. Very practical. It's going to help us figure out some things no and yes. Very clear on how you and I behave, how we live our lives. Uh, I, I gave my life to Christ when I was right at 16. And right after that, not too long after that, I get this part-time job working for someone in our church. Uh, he owned a department store. He wanted me to, gave me a chance to make some extra pocket money for Christmas. And I was very comfortable going to work there because there were some other people from the church who worked there. And one of them was kind of overshoes primarily. He was assistant manager overshoes. And I'll never forget this. Uh, as, as a teenager, I'd seen a lot of wrongdoing. As you know, teenagers, we teenagers, we got a, a lot of wrongdoing, right? But I'd never witnessed adult or mature wrongdoing until this experience. I saw this grown-up selling shoes. People say, tell me, where, where are these shoes made? Tell me about these shoes. And they say, oh, oh these shoes, they're, they're pure leather. They're made by this little old man up in the mountains, uh, handcrafted up in Italy. And I'm going, dude, they're made on an assembly line in China. But yet, time after time, he would tell people these things about these shoes that just weren't true. And as I'm forming in my mind, I'm young in my faith, I'm going, you know, as a Christian, there are some things that I just don't think you do. And, and, and lying, lying to particularly people in the store, customers, uh, that's just on the no side. No, that, that's not. And not only that, that he would go at lunchtime, this guy, that somebody I knew well, 
He would go to the cash register of this other man's company, take out 20 bucks and say, I'm going to lunch. And he did it. I'm going, this is, man, that's not your money. And in my mind, I'm full, okay, that's another thing. I'm making a little note. No, I'm not going to steal. I'm not going to steal from any place where I'm working. I'm just not going to do that. that that's, that's just a no thing. I recall I'm working my way through college, and some of you have been around here for a long time. You know, I had many jobs working my way through college, and one of them was working uh, in a cemetery. I dug gray. I was a grave digger. And I'll never forget when I finally got the responsibility, the trust of owning the keys. He said, hey, Rick, here's the keys. You lock up. I went, really? I get to lock up. It felt so important. And it was the foreman who said, you got the keys, lock up. Just make sure everything's when you leave. He said, I got to go check out some new equipment for digging the graves. I said, Okay. And I found out later, that's not where he was going. He was going down the highway just a little bit to a place called Stubby's to drink on the job, getting tanked. And I thought, you know what? Uh, another formative time. I'm going to say no to drinking on the job. I'm just, I'm just not sure if that kind of lines up, you know, with what I believe and, and what is right. And so well, what I'm trying to say, the apostle Paul's about to teach us that there comes a point in your Christian walk where what you believe matches up with how you live. That is how you behave, some of the choices that you and I make. I recall when I was running from God and Dallas and I were living out in Odessa, and I'm not sure about going into the ministry, and I found myself in the oil patch. And part of being in the oil patch, I would travel to all these oil shows. And I learned a lot. I learned a lot about business. I learned about leadership. I met some awesome businessmen in this particular environment and really encouraged me and taught me some things. But I also remember after many of those oil shows that the guys would hang around and they would maybe drink a little bit too much. And all of a sudden, men started talking. And I, I, I was kind of aghast at some of these men that I knew that were married and I knew their wives they started talking about all their female conquest in the different oil shows that they went to. They named the cities. They named the women. And so I'm kind of making this, this formative. I'm, I'm going, hold it here. You know, this is to know womanizing. I mean, as a male, womanizing. I, I'm, just, I'm just, no, we're just going to respect uh, women. I hope I'm still on that right. Uh, this is going to be on recording. Uh, that, 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 that's just a no, that you respect women as human beings, and you're not going to do that. And what we're learning here is, from the, we're going from the scriptures, is that as a Christian, you come to a point in your life to say, there's some things I'm not going to do. There's some places I'm not going. There's some movies I'm not going to watch. Uh, there's some websites I'm not going to visit. As a young person, there's some video games I'm not going to play. I'm just not. There's some shows I'm not going to watch. And it's not because I'm a prude, but just I want that my, what I believe to con line up with my behavior and my, my, my conduct, my lifestyle. Now, the challenge is, the challenge is that when I do that, to not become self-righteous, not become holier than thou, Right? I mean, I remember uh, when Dallas and I started kind of getting a little more successful and, and her business was growing and we started kind of beginning to make a little money. I had this awareness, whoa, 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 money has power. I can't hoard money. God does not allow me to make money or have money to hoard it or to just to blow it away. And so I made a cognitive, no, I'm not going to hoard 
or I'm not going to blow money. I mean, that was just, man, a, a very critical thing and how to do that and not be self-righteous or pompous in some of the decisions that you make. It's, a, it's, it's challenging. It's challenging to live in this culture, to live in this world. But the more you grow in your faith, you realize that the world in which you and I live is so vastly different, the values and the values of the Christian faith. And how you make this stand is hard. Some people draw such a hard line. I mean, the line is so hard that you're just kind of a Pharisee, just kind of dogmatic and kind of irritable about it. I mean, just kind of. And then some people, the line is so blurry, you run the risk of crossing the line on so many things. So it's an art on how you figure how to say yes and how to say no and still stay in fellowship with one another. Now, I, we're going to keep moving on here. And I want you to see Colossians 3 how Paul kind of sets this up a little bit about this line, okay? This line where we kind of draw things line, you know, in, in the sand here. Verse chapter 3, chapter 3, verse 1. He says, since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died. Your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Do not set your minds on earthly things. Now, what are the earthly things he's talking about? In the Roman culture, I'm going to give you five quick his history things that were going on historically when Paul writes this letter to this little church in Colossae who's in the Roman Empire. Five of them real quickly, and here's the first one. The first one is idolatry. It was pervasive throughout the empire. Uh, you will see here on this little slide, uh, they were, even Christians, they would, they would get, bring an ox, they would cut off the ox, the bull's head, they would burn it there like a little altar, they would go in this little temple to the gods, little g, G-O-D-S, because they believed there wasn't just one God, there are many gods. And you got to keep the gods happy so you can be prosperous, so you can make money. That was the primary purpose. It was greed while they had idols primarily. Secondly, you have the second one here is the magical powers. Is that in the Roman Empire, even within the Colossi Church, there was men and women who carried these little things. You see in the this center thing called a latus. Say latus. That was a wand that you carried that said you had a special gift of telling the future, of, of interpreting signs in the sky and signs in the world. Even the belief that they could take, hope, uh, get a chicken, they would sacrifice the chicken, take the liver, and that she or he could look at the veins of the liver to predict your future. And there were Christians who did this before they made a decision to make sure they understood what the other powers were saying. Magic power. It's no to fortune telling, Paul would say. The third one right here is kind of difficult. It's public sexuality. We had to really work to find a, a picture we could put up here that was not too offensive. We had to cover some stuff up even now. Because there was no covering up in Rome, in the Roman Empire, in their lifestyle. Public sexuality was just out there. Brothels were everywhere. Uh, you would walk the streets in one of these Roman empires, and there would be signs directed to the brothels. I mean, just like in our community, except they would use anatomically body, body parts engraved in rock and stone to direct you where you're going. You kind of get the point, right? And then when you arrive there, it's very clear, anatomical body parts engraved in there let you know you have arrived at a brothel. It was just public accepted. 
it was very common dinner parties that young men, thriving, successful men, growing with, in the Via Romana, would go to these dinner parties. And it was just expected. Women knew it. Children knew it. Afterwards, they'd parade women through. And they would have just public sex. It was just, just out there. It was just kind of part of it. And they, and they would tell your wives, hey, listen, wives, this is in your best interest. This is for the good of your family. Let your man take care of this here. You don't have to worry about it. It's for the good. That's, what, that's how they taught that. That's what they taught. It was pervasive, just a normal way of life, which leads us to the fourth one, which is pederasty. Pederasty is a harsh thing to think about. It is young boys being given to young men, who are, to older men who are wealthy in position of power for the man's sexual pleasure. And sometimes poor people would give their sons over to some man, sometimes they'd be kidnapped. And the justification was this, when he turned 18, he would get a good job. And this guy would make sure, and it would change the family dynamic of wealth in their whole family. It was a widely accepted practice. I know these are disturbing. It was reality in that time. And here's the last one, blood sports. Blood sports. You see these gladiators here uh, in the arena, but not just men, but women. Uh, there's this example here. This is, this is Amazonia and Aquila. And what they would do is they would put these gladiators who were trained to kill in this arena, and they would bring in captives and slaves they'd captured from somebody else, and they would just watch. Everybody would just watch and cheer as the gladiator would kill and execute in just blood. They'd bring in animals, and they would just watch these gladiators just, and before everyone, just destroy these animals. And people would cheer because they loved violence. And it was just common. You'd be a Christian, go to the church, and then you'd go to the Colosseum and enjoy all this stuff. And the Apostle Paul is saying, listen, guys, there comes a point in your life, there comes a point, how you behave and how you conduct yourself and what you do is to line up with what you say that you believe. And so he starts to teach in very graphic ways. Hard conversation. Look what it says, chapter, verse 5. He says, put to death whatever belongs to your earthly nature, in other words, no to your earthly nature. And then he begins to describe your earthly nature. He says sexual immorality, that is any sexual activity outside of a husband and wife. Impurity. Impurity are decisions and choices that you and I make that cause harm to others, that separates or divides us from God or other people. Lust. Lust is misdirected and perverted sexual desires. Evil desires. That is narcissistic passion. Take care of me. What I want, what I need, what I think, my desire, it's narcissistic. It's all about anything that you want, and you're, it's just about you. It's evil desire. Greed, which he says also is idolatry, which takes us back to that very first slide I showed you. He said, because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You wonder why your nation's in an uproar. You wonder why your family's in trouble. You wonder why all this chaos you're experiencing and all this drama and all this dysfunction. He said, this is why the choices that you are making. Verse 7, it says, because you used to walk in these ways. You used to. You used to. The life you used to live. But now, 
You also got to get rid of yourself of some other things. You used to walk in the way of the Via Romana. Now you walk in the way of, of the Via Crucis. You got to get rid of some other stuff. Christians are held to a higher standard, to a higher expectation. Look what he says, verse 8. But now you must also rid yourself of such things as anger. Does that mean you never get mad? No, it doesn't mean that at all. It means you don't hold on to your anger. Would you agree with me that we seem to be in a world where everybody is holding on to their anger? We live in a very angry society. Just get on the news. Just get on social media. Just pay attention to what's going on right now. And, I, and I, there's just so much anger. He says, let go of it. He goes on to the next one. Uh, get rid of anger. And he says, now rage. Rage is, 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 a, is, short, is, is uncontrolled anger. It's a short fuse. It's the person who goes from zero to 120 just like that. And you go, Pastor, that's just the way I'm wired. I said, no, you, no, 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 no. That's just an excuse. He's saying there, there's no place for that fuse being so short that you go from this to that just like that, clouding up and racing. No, you've got to get rid of that, he says. Be gone with it. Choose no to that. He goes on, slander. No, it says malice. I skipped one, malice. Malice is, uh, you're so angry, you plot and plan how to hurt someone. That's malice. That's revengeful anger. You just want them to pay. You just want them to hurt. You just want them to get what they deserve. That's malice. Then it says slander. Slander is words that bring harm to other people. Filthy language from your, wheat, your lips. That is not talking about vulgarity. Um, technically in the Greek, that is shameful speech. That is speech that is ugly. That is speech that is demeaning. That is speech that you use to cut someone down to where they feel like they're nothing but that tall to make them feel like a nobody. That's what it's saying. It says get rid of that stuff. It's destroying your families. And then he goes on again. Verse, uh, verse 9, do not lie to each other. Just don't do it. It breaks trust. Don't make stuff up, and don't lie to each other. It just destroys the family, destroys relationships. Since now you have taken off your old self with its practices. Now you're saying no to my old self, my old self. No, that's the old way. That, I'm not living like that anymore. That's not who I am. No to that old self. No. I saw this tweet this past week from a... Uh, T.D. Jakes, and I'm not sure I can say it exactly like it was, I remember it, but he said something like this, he said, you, you cannot become who you're becoming as long as you stay who you used to be. At the same time that you are who you used to be, you can't stay right there to become who God wants you to be. There has to be something dying that no, 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 no. And now it begins to switch. Do not lie to your, each other since you've taken off your old self with its old practices and you put on the new self. 
verse 10, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. So I'm going to say yes to my new self, to the new thing that God is doing in me to be created and become who God created me to be. That's what we were last weekend. And then he really gets good. Verse 11. Here, there in the church, here in the church, there is no Gentile or Jew, no circumcised or uncircumcised, no barbarian, no Scythian, no slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. In other words, say yes to God's family. That's exactly what he's saying. Now, let me make sure you understand this. Before the resurrection of Jesus Christ, all these people here he lists, they couldn't hang out together. There was a social strata, and you just hung out with the people that were in your strata. Slave didn't hang out with free, free with slave. Circumcised with uncircumcised, you, Roman and you just didn't do it. But now he's saying, because of Jesus Christ and the veil of the curtain being torn in two, no longer are you and I separated from God, and we are no longer separated by each other. We are brothers and sisters in Christ. We are family. He's saying, say yes to God's family. Yes. Uh, I, re I recall... Uh, Years ago, where I got an awareness of, of how God's family is changing and everything. Year, years ago, I was invited to come preach at an African-American church. It's an all-African-American church in Stop 6 area, very close to where my papa and granny lived, where my mom grew up many of her years. And I said yes. And I, first of all, why, why did I say yes? Uh, because he wanted me to come. I, my pastor friend who's African-American wanted me to come because uh, they were just weren't liking white people in his church. They were having a problem with liking white people. And they were just kind of angry with what's going on in the world. And he said, Rick, I, I want you to come and to give them an example and, and preach and teach and about God's love and we're all one in one family. And I, I want a white person to do it and I want you to do it. And I said, okay, okay, I, I will. And, and so I show up, and I could tell there was a few people there that weren't happy that I was there. They, they weren't quite pleased that, that Roosevelt had invited me to come and speak on this occasion. And so I'm peeking at the love of God, and there's no Jew, there's no black, there's no white, there's no brand, there's no, we're all one, in, we're all God's people, we're all God's family. Service is over, and this woman comes up to me, and she's probably at least 100 years old. She might have been 200 years old. She might have been, I'm just saying. <laughs> She, she, she could have been. That, that's how old she probably was. And she walked up to me, and she got right in my face. I mean, she got right in my face, just nose to nose. And she looked at me, and she said, Pastor, she said, you're white. I said, I know. She said, I'm black. I said, yes, ma'am. She said, uh, I've never been this close to a white person before. Me either. <laughs> I don't we're talking close. And she said, I believe what God's word said is true. Do you? I said, Yes, ma'am, I do. I do. And then she said, she said then you better pucker up, because I'm about to put these big old black lips right on you. And boom, she kissed me. <laughs> that was a defining moment for her and for me. Now, what's the point? That would not have happened except for the love of Jesus. 
Dennis just joined this. Can we, hey, Dennis, are you black? <laughs> Last time you looked. <laughs> that would not have happened except for the love of God that we are all brothers and sisters in Christ. We are all the same. There's no black, there's no brown, there's no Asian. We are all one in Christ Jesus. He says, say yes to the family of God. Yes. And stop all this bickering, dividing stuff. You got to make a choice, he says. Say yes. He goes on. Therefore, as God's chosen people, God's family, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourself with compassion, with kindness, with humility, and with gentleness and patience. In other words, say yes to God's nature. That's what he's saying. Say yes to God's nature, compassion, goodness, kindness, humility, patience. Here's what I think is interesting. People come to Christ. You become a Christian. You start praying to God. And here's how you pray. God, this world is in so much trouble. Would you please fix it, God? Would you please show compassion? Would you please show your kindness, God, to the world? God, would you please be patient with the world? Would you please do that, God? And God says, okay, you go do it. You go, no, 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 God. I want you to do it. And God says, no, I sent you to do it. I have filled you with the fullness of the fullness of the fullness of the fullness of my presence in Jesus Christ. You clothe yourself with compassion. You clothe yourself with kindness. You clothe yourself with goodness. You clothe yourself with humility. And you do it. And you go, well, you know, I don't always wake up in the morning feeling very patient. I don't wake up in the morning feeling very compassionate. And when I get to work or I hang around that person, I don't feel like being very kind. And God says, I didn't say anything about your feelings. Who's talking about feelings? Clothe yourself. Put on a mindset in the morning. Put on a mindset. I'm going to be kind today. I'm going to be humble today. I'm going to be patient today. Let me ask you. Could, I want you to picture somebody in your mind, somebody in your mind that's very challenging to you, somebody that really challenges you, that challenges you to be kind, that challenges you to be nice. Someone in your, I want you to get somebody who just kind of gets under your skin a little bit, you know, that just kind of makes this chalkboard kind of, just think of somebody just keep looking at me. Don't look next to you. Okay. <laughs> I know. We're going to have some marriages in divorce right here in worship right now. So just keep looking ahead. All right? Even over there in the sanctuary, just keep looking ahead. So tree of words, look ahead. Got them? Could it be that God has brought that person into your life so you can do what you could not do by yourself but only by the Spirit of God? You can't do it, but when you clothe yourself in God's nature, all of a sudden God does what you can't do through you. 
And so when that happens and you do that, somebody's going to ask you, well, man, how, how are you so patient with that person? They are just, you know, just how, I mean, just you, how, how are you so kind and good to that person because they are just a pain in and, and you say, well, you know, this morning uh, I clothed myself. I made a decision to say yes to the nature of God that's already in me. Oh, my goodness, church. Say yes. Say yes to the nature of God that's already in you. And bear with each other. Bear, bear with each other. I'm right there in verse 13. Literally, in the Greek, bear with each other. That means to shore up that which is weak. It means to strengthen that which is weak. I want you to think of somebody in your life that drains you. Somebody that drains you. That when you get finished being around them, you just feel, oh, my God, i got nothing left. Think of that person, okay? Got it? Everybody has them. Think about it. I mean, they just suck the life out of you. Could it be that God has brought that person into your life, not for you, but for them? Because the reason it drains you is they need what you have. And God is going to use you to empty you, to fill them up, and to be an answer to them when there's no other answer. God's going to use you. And you go, Pastor, you don't understand. It's, that person makes me feel so uncomfortable. I just, I just don't, I, I'm so uncomfortable. Uh, I just want to encourage you to be careful if this is you. And someone who doesn't like to be around people who make you feel uncomfortable. Because God, in his great mercy, got real uncomfortable. He left heaven and became flesh and blood. And he got really uncomfortable on a thing called the cross. So he could fill you up. with his grace and with his presence, and it emptied him. It, it drained him. He got real uncomfortable. I, I remember when uh, Roosevelt asked me to come preach to his, his church, that African-American church, and I was a little going, oh, this is going to be a little awkward here, a little uncomfortable here. I already knew the story, what was going on there. And then I walk in, and, and, and if you ever been, tell you what, we, I, I wish I could bring this little church to worship here. They could teach some of us here how to worship, because let me tell you what happened. I'm walking up to go speak. They go, yeah, preacher, come on, bring it. I'm not said a word. <laughs> I'm not even open. I hadn't even said hi yet. Come on, bring it, brother. You know, I would say glory. They'd say Hallelujah. I say love. They say everybody. You know, I mean, it was just a continual give and take, and it messed me up in my head. I was so uncomfortable. I didn't know how to do this, this rhythm, talking back and forth sort of thing. It was just so awkward. <laughs> you know, I come here. Sometimes I can preach a whole message. Y'all just hear. <laughs> you, you don't say a word. I mean, you just kind of like a bump, bump on a log. You just come to, you know, whatever. And, and I will tell you, it was it was a little uncomfortable. But God didn't call me to be comfortable. He called me to share the good news of God's love. 
And I'm going to share with black people, with white people, with brown people, with Asian people, with tall people, with short people, with heavy people, with light people, with long-haired people, with no-haired people. <laughs> you know who you are. You can't choose who God sends into your life. You don't get to choose that. Who God sends, you bear with to strengthen them. That's the call of your ministry. You don't get to choose. God does that. And you clothe yourself with compassion and with goodness and with kindness and with patience and humility, even for them. That makes you uncomfortable. You bear with it, he says. And then he says, uh, and, uh, and forgive each other. If you've got agreements against somebody, I mean, forgive. I mean, you just, you just forgive them, and you go, ah, eh, not so much. Eh, I don't think I want to do that one. I don't like that idea. You don't know how much they hurt me. You don't know how bad you hurt others. You... You don't know what they did to me. You don't know what you've done to God. If you have been forgiven much, you forgive much. Those who have been shown great mercy, you show great mercy. Anybody here besides me been forgiven a lot? Anybody here been shown a lot of mercy besides me? Choose. Yes, I am going to forgive. I'm going to choose you. It's not how I feel. <laughs> oh, we're so hooked on the feelings, aren't we? He goes on. And are all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together? Okay, pastor, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do You said to do it. I'm going to do it. I'm going to be nice, and I'm not going to like it. <laughs> Out of obligation, you said it. I'll do it. <laughs> Whoop and do. The Scripture says that God is love. God is love. And if you have the nature of God in you, how can you say, I love Jesus, but I don't love him, or I don't love her, or I'm not going to love them? How can you do, how can any of us do that? If we have the love of God in us, and God is love, how, how can we do that? How? I would ask you to rethink your relationship with Jesus. That doesn't mean we're best friends. But that means I figure out how to clothe myself out of love with compassion and with kindness and with goodness and to treat you like a person with respect and honor. And let the peace of Christ rule in you. You were called to peace. Let it rule in you. 
This is the only place where it changes. Now it's saying let. You don't have to do anything. Just let it. Let, you, have, you have Christ in you. Just let it rule. Let it. You don't have to, oh, God, please give me peace. Why do you pray for peace? God says, you already got it. If you're in Jesus, I'm in you. He says, I'm the prince of peace. You have it. You have it. Just let it rule your heart, the scripture says. There was this painter who wanted to have a contest, give a million dollars to whoever came up with the best painting that looks perfectly like peace, the best painting that describes peace. Man, there were seascapes, there were mountains, there were snow scenes, these level, smooth water, all these beautiful paintings. The winner gets a million dollars. Then there's this one. Whereas this is tumultuous, raging waterfall, water pounding over, and it pounded on this rock with a little twig out of the rock, and a bird sitting on the, on, on the twig, and the bird is just singing with the water just blowing up the bird. I mean, just blowing it up, and it's just singing, singing, singing. And all these other guys are going, well, I'm going to win, I'm going to win. And he picked that one with the bird, and everybody went, what are you talking about? How can that be peace? I mean, this is peace, perfect peace. Mountains, tranquil water, all beautiful sunset. And that right there, and the painter said, true peace is when all hell is breaking loose and you can still sing a song. And I thought about that while ago while some of you were singing. There's nobody like you, God. There's nobody like you. There's nobody like you. And the people knew what you were going through. Some of you who are going through literally hell right now in your life, they would have stand up and started applauding that you're even here, that you're even singing, that you're even giving, because you're going through heck, but your witness is God is even greater than that. You may be going through a divorce, but God is able. The peace of God is with you. You may be riddled with cancer. You may have this chaotic thing with a kid in your life, but God is able, and the Prince of Peace can rule. That's what he's saying. And then he says, and be thankful. I'm just going to skip that part right now. We're going to come back to it. Then he says, three little words, and be thankful. Uh, he, he goes on. And let the message of Christ dwell among you. Verse 16, richly, as you teach and you admonish one another. Whoa, what's he mean about that? Here's what he's saying. You come to worship, you hear the music, uh, hopefully you get encouraged by the message, encouraged, and then you go out and encourage other people. You don't come here to be entertained. If you come here and forget everything that happens and walks out these doors and go to the restaurant and act like a you-know-what, you missed the point. You go home and cloud up and rain all over your spouse and all your kids, your neighbor, you missed the point. The point is to come to worship and to give praise to God and be encouraged so you can go encourage other people. And it says, how do you do that? By, by having psalms and hymns, songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. Let me ask you something. Anybody here have a song in their heart that just pops out sometime? I mean, you're just, you're just I mean, yeah, the radio's not on, you got no iPod, in, nothing happening, no, no your phone. Just all of a sudden you just start singing, right? Just no instrument, you just start singing. Ah. Uh. How great is our God. Sing with me how great is our God. And all will see how great, how great is our God. You got a song like that in your heart that you know it just kind of pops out, right? I mean, you're at the grocery store, right, and your kids, you got your kids with you, and they're all acting up and behaving, and you're just, and all of a sudden they're going crazy, and you just get the little card, and you start singing, how great <laughs> is our God, 
Sing with me, how great you are. Right, you're at work, right? You're at work. And the boss comes in and says, hey, listen, I need to talk to you about these reports. How great is our God. Sing with me. Come on, boss. Sing with me, how great. Uh, can you imagine how the act changes the whole atmosphere when you're so full of the joy of the Lord that a song just pops out, right? Your wife has been nagging. Her husband comes in. They're just giving you what heck. And you're, getting, you're almost getting into a fight. And you stop and go, how great is our God, sing with me. That's going to change the whole thing. Now, don't you do that when you get home. Are you mad at me, right? Because you start singing, they're going to think. I'm just saying. Choose love and joy in the nature of God. And then he wraps up with this thing. And whatever you do, whatever you do, verse 17, whatever you do, whatever you do, whatever you do in your marriage, whatever you do in your friendships, whatever you do in that conflict, Whatever you do at work, whatever you do in that restaurant, whatever you do at home, whatever you do when you mow the yard, whatever you do with your kids, whatever you do, whether in word or deed, whatever you do, do it in the name, do it in the name of the Lord Jesus, clothing yourself with his compassion, with his goodness, with his kindness, with his patience, and his humility, because you are my witness of who I'm like. And then he wraps it up. giving thanks. I think it's interesting in three verses, he says, be thankful. <laughs> Have gratitude. Uh, you know, sometimes people uh, say something to me and they'll say, Rick, you know what? Uh, you're just so enthusiastic when you teach. Uh, you're just so energetic. It, it can't be real. Like there's something, like someone can, I look, I look at some of you guys here in the house, and you kind of sit here and worship sometimes, you know, and you just kind of sit here, and you're like, well, I, I'm not going to get that excited or enthusiastic about anything. I'm gonna, no, I'm just, no, I'm just, and you kind of come here, because I, I can't, and yet I see you when your favorite team scores. <laughs> I hear you. The whole world does. Your wives are going, what's going on? Touchdown! He went yard, he went yeah. Woo, he broke the record, you go crazy. So don't tell me, don't tell me, don't tell me you don't have passion and energy. Don't tell me you're not grateful when that happens. You go, yeah. And women, I see you. And I know in certain situations in your life, when your little kid does something, you go, oh, it's so awesome. And you just overflow. Oh, oh, oh you go great. You just go. So when you, when you see me up here, and you see me kind of with this, all this energy and passion, you know why? I don't think I've ever told you this. And this is how we're going to end. I grew up in a home where I shared a bedroom with three sisters. My dad, mom, my dad had to work sometimes two jobs, sometimes a third to help get my mom through school so we could have food on the table, I could wear shoes, we could all have clothes. I had to pay my way through college, just grinding it out, had no idea how I was going to get through it. Dallas and I get married. God calls me in the ministry. I had no idea what that's about. I ran from it. 
and God sends us here to this little town in Burleson. We're dead broke, have zero money, zero money, zero. Got to go to seminary. Had no idea how it was going to happen. Today, we have three sons. They're all married. They all have jobs. Praise be to God. Uh, they don't live at home. Been married 40 years. Both my wife and I are healthy in this church. I don't deserve to be standing up here. I know what I've done, and I know where I've been. I know. I don't deserve that. And yet, God in his great mercy, one service to five, two acres to 15, to millions of people, hundreds of people, watch it online, in all colors, black, white, brown, male, female, and I'm just trying to tell you, God is good, and I'm thankful. God has been good to me, and I'm just so grateful, it just flows out, and I can't help it. And I wonder if some of you, do any of you have anything in your life you're thankful for at all? There's so much, it just pops out, and you can't help it. Is there anybody in the house? Anybody in the sanctuary? Anybody in True Worth? So here's what I want you to do. I want everybody to stand. True Worth. Everybody stand. In the ark, stand. Sanctuary, stand. Here's what we're about to do. Some of you are going to wait. You wait your Thanksgiving to be thankful. Here's what we're about to do. We're about to give God the loudest shout of thanks and praise like you've never done before. The heavens are going to rumble. The churches in town and down at True Worth and in the sanctuary, what happened if that? For 30 seconds, you're going to cheer, yell, give God thanks for something he's done in your life. I want God is good. I want you to think of something God has done in your life right now, something you're grateful for. And I want the decibel to go off the chain. 30 seconds. <laughs> this is so uncomfortable, isn't it? <laughs> One, sanctuary, uh, true word, don't you bail. Two, three, thanks be to God. What God has done, hold that cup. He is good. He is holy. He is love. He is a good, good father. 15 more seconds, come on, come on. I want to hear it. Thanks be to God. He has praised you. He is good. Later.